0: Yeah, welcome, uh, everybody, and uh, great to see you, and uh, thanks for being here. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Good, good, good. Thanksgiving is a great holiday, isn't it? It's a great time to just uh, uh, reflect on joy and uh, God's goodness and uh, blessings. Hey, question for you. How many of you would like to have more joy in your life? Uh, Show of hands. Yeah, quite a few. That's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, And uh, my hand's up. You know I'm in a group and uh, we read a book this uh, this year. Probably my favorite book that I read this year It's called One Word That'll Change Your Life. And a great book that I would recommend uh, to you. The big idea of the book is you choose one word and you focus on that one word for the next uh, year. And so I prayed and I really sensed God nudging me to choose the word joy and uh, just develop try to develop more joy in my life over the course of the year. And uh, many of you would probably say the same thing. You'd like to have Uh, more joy in your life. But the reason I chose joy as my one word, if I'm being honest, is because I'm really, really good at what we're going to talk about uh, today. I'm not proud of it, but I'm really good at complaining. And complaining is the number one barrier that keeps us from experiencing the joy that God wants us to have in our uh, life. Well, today we wrap up by the series called Me and My uh, Big uh, Mouth. And the driving verse for this series has been Proverbs 18, where Solomon says the tongue has the power of life and death. In other words, the the words that we say have the power to give life or uh, take it. And so you know what? Every person in this room, you are a powerful person because of your words. Your words have the power to determine the direction and the quality of your uh, life. Now, I'm probably not the only one here who is good. At uh, complaining, anybody else good complainer? Ra- raise your hand. Oh yeah, quite a few. Yeah, quite a few of us good at uh, complaining. Uh, how many? How many of you? Uh, I'm curious. How many of you, when I said that we're going to talk about complaining uh, today, how many of you said, "Do we really have to talk about that? Couldn't we talk about something else?" Anybody complain when I said we're talking about uh, complaining? Many of us complain. Let me ask you another question. What is it that you complain about the most? You know, be honest with yourself. What do you complain about the most? Now, if I'm being uh, transparent uh, with you, number one for me, I complain about all the stuff I have to get done. I complain about being busy, which, uh, you know, whose fault is that, that I'm too busy? It's my own fault, right? But I still complain about it. Uh, That's my number one complaint. Probably number two, I complain about aches and pains. I'm getting older and I have more aches and pains. Yeah, poor me. Yeah, so what about you? What about you? What do you complain about? Maybe some of you here, you complain that you're not married. Uh, some of you complain because you are married, right? Some of you, maybe you complain because you're, you've got kids and your kids don't listen uh, to you. Or, I don't know, maybe you complain the house is too small, money's too tight. Maybe you complain about the weather, right? We've had some cold weather recently. We've got some snow. We've got a snowstorm possibly coming tomorrow. Maybe you complained about that. Maybe you complained, anybody, go, anybody lose power uh, today? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, we complain about that. Uh, you know, some of us have probably, maybe, maybe we've complained about the Green Bay Packers season this year. It hasn't gone uh, too good so far. You know, many of us, if we're, if we're honest, we complain a lot. And, and we also would say, oh, it's not a big deal, it's harmless. But today, I want you to think about complaining and, and, and the consequences of it that maybe we haven't thought about and how it can affect our joy level. For, for example, let's say that you just decided, I'm going to start complaining more about my job. And so you start complaining every day about your job. You complain that you got to get up and go to work. You complain about your commute uh, to work. You complain that you don't get paid enough uh, for, the, for the work that you do. What happens the more you complain about it? The more miserable uh, you feel, right? Somebody said, I heard somebody say this one time, that complaining is like uh, scratching a mosquito bite. You know, it's not good to get bit by a mosquito, but the more you scratch it, the more it gets irritated, and it can get infected, and it makes it worse, And, and that's what complaining does. It just makes us miserable. But we tend to think that our circumstances and our problems make us miserable. It's the weather, it's politics, it's other people, it's my job, it's the Packers, but the problem's not out there. The problem is in here. Complaining steals our joy and makes us uh, miserable. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and, and uh, open it up to the, uh, the book of Philippians, chapter, uh, chapter 2. Something interesting about the uh, book of Philippians is that it helps us find and develop joy. Joy is a central theme of Philippians. Paul uses the word joy 16 times in uh, Philippians, but to really understand the power of this teaching, you need to know the backstory. And so let me give you a little bit of background on Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We call it the book of Philippians in the New Testament. After Paul starts following Jesus, he spends about the next 25 years traveling around Europe and that region, planting new churches. And uh, by the way, that's why we make church planting a priority at River Glen. It's not something that we thought up. It is the the New Testament pattern for how to spread the good news about Jesus. But one day, after spending uh, many years planting uh, churches, Paul decides to take a break. And he decides to go to Jerusalem and teach people in the temple about Jesus. And so Paul goes to the temple. He starts teaching about Jesus. But the religious leaders get mad. And they send a mob over there to stop Paul. And so they, they 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 drag Paul out of the temple and they start to beat him. They start beating him to death. And somebody sees what's going on and they call the police. The police would be the Romans. And a Roman soldier shows up and right when he's about to arrest Paul, Paul says to the soldier, "He says, I'm not just a Jewish. I am a Roman citizen, which is a game changer because a Roman citizen means that he would get a trial." And so Paul gets a trial, but he has to go to Rome for his trial. So they put Paul on a boat, they put him on a ship, and he begins sailing to Rome. But on the way to Rome, a storm hits, throws their boat off course, and they get lost at sea, in the the Mediterranean Sea, for two weeks. And then they end up shipwrecked on an island for three months. And then finally Paul arrives in Rome, but it's not like there's a welcoming committee holding a, you know, welcome Paul sign. The Romans immediately arrest him. And they put him in, in prison. And uh, jails, you know, back then in the first century, were not, not like jails today. Not that our jails are great. But, you know, prisoners can usually watch TV. They can eat decent food. They have a, a place to maybe exercise. But in first century Rome, prisoners slept on hard floors, ate terrible food. And Paul spent every minute of every day chained to a Roman guard. Paul spends two to three years in prison chained to a Roman soldier as he waits for a trial for a crime that he didn't commit. Now, I share that with you because if there's anybody who had reason to complain, it's Paul, right? But instead of complaining, Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi about joy. Philippians is called the most joyful book in the Bible. Paul begins by telling them about Jesus, the source of our joy. But then Paul warns them, he warns us about the number one Joy stealer, and the joy stealer is not some person who drives us crazy. It's not the government. It's not some difficult circumstance in our life. It's not the weather. It's not our job. In verse fourteen, Paul identifies the number one joy stealer, and he gives us this very challenging teaching. He says, "Do everything without grumbling or arguing." That word grumbling there could also be translated complaining. Isn't it interesting what Paul what Paul says here? I mean, I mean, think about it. Think about what he didn't say. He didn't say, if you want joy in your life, here's what you need to do. Perfect church attendance. Memorize everything that I've written. Pray uh, four hours a day. No, no, no. He says, if you want to experience the real joy that God has for you, then here's what I want you to do. Here's what you need to do. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't confront. Okay, there's going to be times when we're going to need to confront uh, wrongdoing and injustice. And this doesn't mean that we never have uh, tough conversations. We'll, 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 We'll need to have tough conversations, but we have those in love. But complaining is different. Complaining is a spirit of ingratitude. And Paul says, whoever you're with, and whatever your circumstances, doesn't matter, do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, why do you think Paul sets that bar so high? Why do you think he says everything? Okay, I mean, I think, I think many people will say, well, it's okay to complain about some things. Paul says, no, uh, do everything without complaining or arguing. Here, here's why. I, th- I think it's because Paul knows that joy, joy and complaining cannot coexist. We get so caught up in the negativity and what's wrong, we miss what's right and good. Joy and complaining cannot coexist. When Paul wrote this verse here, To the Philippians, many scholars think that he was actually thinking back to his own people, the Israelites, and the story of how complaining sabotaged their joy. In fact, at one point in the story, they live in captivity as slaves to the Egyptians. They live as they live as slaves for hundreds of years, and they complain to God. And finally, uh, God hears them and responds and sends Moses. And God issues ten plagues and. God sets them free. God even parts the Red Sea for them. He provides them with food. He makes sure that their clothing doesn't wear out. But guess what these people did during that whole time? They griped and they whined and they complained. Listen to what uh, they say to Moses in Exodus uh, chapter 14. And as I read this, I want you to imagine hearing this in the most whiny voice. That you can imagine. I'm not going to try and do it for you because then you'd know how good I am at whining. And, but I want you to just imagine hearing this in a whiny, complainy voice. Okay? They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? They didn't actually say that, I don't think. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the uh, desert. Now think about what they said here. They said, Moses, we had it better getting beaten as slaves in in Egypt, getting treated as, as slaves, than we have it now with you. See what complaining does? Complaining warps our perspective it distorts our thinking. But listen to how Moses responds to them. This would have blown them away. Moses says, he says this. He says, you are not complaining against us, but against the Lord. Us would have been Moses and his brother Aaron. You're not complaining against us. You're complaining against God. See, they thought they complained against Moses, right? Moses says, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. You have actually complained about and against God. Now, I want you to imagine something. Imagine if we viewed complaining in this way. Imagine if we thought about complaining, not as complaining about the weather or the traffic or the government or your spouse or your kids or your, or your job. Imagine that you weren't really complaining against them. And every time we complain, in God's eyes, we complain about and against him. Because that's exactly how Paul wants us to see this. And, and the reason he sees it this way is because Paul clearly understood the source of uh, complaining. I want you to think back to that question I asked earlier. What do you complain about the most? Okay. And then I, wanna, I want you to think about this next question. Why do you complain about that? Why do you complain so much about that? I think once we get beneath the surface, here's what we discover. The reason I complain is because I think I deserve blank. I deserve blank. And, and so we complain about it. And so here's the source of our complaining. When we complain, it's because of this. I'm not getting what I think I deserve from God. And it's, it's a sense of entitlement. The source of all our complaining is entitlement. Entitlement is a spirit of ingratitude that says, God owes me more. I deserve better than this. I deserve more. And, and that's why Paul says we should do everything without complaining or arguing Because the sense of entitlement, it, it dishonors God and it steals our joy, makes us miserable. People have actually done a lot of research on complaining and negative mindsets. A guy named Travis Bradbury has written a book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. And he says that uh, here's what they discovered in their research. When we complain repeatedly... It actually triggers and conditions our mind to do, guess what? Complain even more. Yeah, look at what he says here. Repeated complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. They found that we can actually train our brain to complain. And the longer we, we, we live with this mindset, the more difficult it is to get out of it. And this is what happened in the story of Israel that I just shared with you. You know why they were negative when they were slaves and then they were negative when they were free? It's because they trained their brain to complain. They trained their brain to complain regardless of their circumstances. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to have a mind that is trained to look for the bad. I mean, there's enough bad as as the way it is in our world. I want a mind that looks for the good and what is hopeful. And uh, helpful. Bradbury also talks about how complaining influences other people. He says complaining is a lot like smoking. Just like you don't have to do it yourself to suffer the ill effects of secondhand smoke, Uh, we mimic, he says, we mimic the moods of other people. And so complaining is contagious. And we, we can sabotage the joy of other people. And that's why Paul says, do everything without complaining. Or uh, arguing. Then Paul goes on, goes on talking about this. He says, I want you to do everything without uh, uh, grumbling or arguing. And then look at this reason so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. The, the reason Paul gives, I find this fascinating. He says, Don't complain so that you can be blameless. And pure. I mean, think about what he could have said. He could have said, you know, I want you to uh, you know, be honest, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, and then, you know, you'll be blameless and, and pure. No, he says, I need you to quit the complaining and the grumbling and the arguing and feeling sorry for yourself so that you can be blameless and pure. And remember, remember, Paul writes this, I mean, with one hand. He's got the other arm chained to a Roman guard. He's, he's on a hard floor. He's probably awaiting execution. Paul goes through more pain and more difficulty than most of us will go through in our lifetime. And he says, we don't grumble. We don't argue. We don't complain so that we can live with joy. And when we stop complaining, we become pure and blameless. And then look at what happens as a result of that. He says, then uh, you will shine among, among them like stars in the sky. When you stop complaining, he says, he says you'll shine among everybody else. Like the stars up in the sky. Here's what this means. You probably have people in your life that, that, you, that you want them to, to see the, the joy and, and the goodness of God in your life. You've got people in your life and you wish that they knew the, the grace and the, and the love of, of God. But the best way to influence them is not by wearing a, a Christian t-shirt or putting a Christian bumper sticker on your car. It's not by memorizing lots of scripture or praying really loud at the, in the cafeteria at, at school. The best way to influence them is for you to stop your complaining and arguing and grumbling. Because if you do that, Paul says, wow, you're going to shine like the stars in the sky. Now, Paul wrote this long before social media came along, right? But can you imagine what would happen if if all of us can you imagine what would happen if all Christians stopped complaining and arguing on uh, social media? People would look at us like somebody must have hacked into your account. I mean, what happened? You know, you know, you, you, you say all these nice things. Somebody hack in and say these, these nice things. I don't see rants about the government or all the problems or all the, the, the negativity. Because the moment we stop all the complaining and arguing and, and, and gossiping and grumbling, we stand out like bright stars in the universe. And Paul says, people will look at you and they're going to go, there's something different about you. You have joy. Something interesting about, about stars Stars always emit light, okay? But we don't really notice stars during the daytime. You notice stars at nighttime, in the dark. And like Paul, the darker your circumstances, the darker the place is around you, the the, the more people will notice your light shining. The more people will be influenced by your joy, and they're going to want what you have. And then uh, Paul uses this fascinating phrase, he says, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. That phrase there where he says poured out like a drink offering refers to pouring wine on a fire. Sometimes when they would make a sacrifice to God, they'd pour wine on the fire, called a drink offering, and it would just vaporize, and the, the, the vapor would just billow upward, upward and it was, it was done as an act of worship, to express worship to God. But I want you to notice this phrase, poured out, is present tense. He's not talking about his death. He's not looking forward to his, to his death. He's talking about the, the present tense. And notice he uses this word, uh, rejoice, two times in this scripture. Paul says, here's the reason I don't get bitter. Here's the reason I don't complain while I'm in prison. It's because I know my role. And my role is to pour my life out for others. See, Paul didn't put himself at the center. He put Jesus at the center. And here's what Paul did. He lives in prison for two to three years, chained to a guard. The guards would take turns. And he says, you know who the real prisoner is? Every eight hours, I get chained to a new guard. I've got a captive audience, and I can tell them about Jesus. I get fresh meat every eight hours. Paul shared Jesus with them. And so instead of complaining, Paul put Jesus at the center and he poured out his life by serving others. And he found, and that gave him great joy. Some of you might think, well, I don't have anybody to pour into. I don't have anybody to serve. I don't have any kids at home. Hey, listen, we've we got a great place for you here. We've got lots of children in kid life and middle schoolers in the edge and high schoolers in life. We've got a lot of children and students who would love to have an adult like you to pour into their life and it'll become a source of joy for you instead of consuming 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 you decide i'm going to find somebody younger than me and i'm going to pour into that person i'm going to help that young person avoid some of the mistakes that i made and paul says when i pour out my life to serve others i rejoice because i've given because i've given of myself how about husbands and, and wives? Do you spend your time thinking and talking about how your spouse doesn't meet your needs? Complaining about your spouse? Or do you pour out your life and serve him, serve his needs, serve her needs as best you can? That's how Paul found joy, by pouring out his life. And, and we can too. And so I want to try and pull this together. And I want to give you two very practical principles. Two practical challenges that will help you experience more joy and complain less based on the example and the teaching of Paul. Here's the first challenge. If you can change your circumstances, then do something about it. If there is some problem or circumstance in in your life that is negative, unpleasant, or wrong that you wish you could change and you can do something about it, then do something about it. In other words, don't pretend everything's okay when it's not. It's not a sin to notice something is, is wrong, but when we complain and complain and complain and we don't do anything about it, it turns into sin. And so if you can, you can do something to change your negative situation, then change it. Some of us might need to get some outside help to change our, our circumstances. Maybe you need to spend some time with a, a Stephen minister a marriage mentor, maybe a professional Christian counselor. Maybe some of us need to go to celebrate recovery on Monday night. Maybe some of us need to admit that we've got an addiction or a problem. Maybe some of us need to go to Financial Peace University and learn how to create a budget. Maybe some of us need to take a step of faith with God that we keep putting off. Maybe you've come to faith in Jesus, but you've put off baptism. But baptism will help you feel forgiven and cleansed. And it will increase your joy. If you've never uh, been baptized, we've got a great opportunity coming up for you in, in, in two weeks. It's real easy. Okay? We've got everything that you need. We just need you to, to fill out that uh, baptism card in the seat back in front of you. You can take it to the uh, uh, Connect Wall or the, or the Welcome Center after the service. Paul would say, hey, if you can change your circumstances and you can do something about it, Then do something about it. But then here's the second challenge, and this is the harder one. If you can't change your circumstances, then change your perspective. Some of us, like Paul, have circumstances in our life that, that we cannot change. But what we can always change is our perspective. I mean, if you don't have a choice in your situation, you still have a choice in your attitude. In other words, you can change what you say about it. You can change what you think about it. Like Paul looked at those chains in prison and he said, this is a chance for me to shine like a star and put Jesus at the center and serve others and advance the the, the gospel in in this world. And so I wonder, what do you find yourself chained to right now that you cannot change? Maybe it's a health problem. Maybe it's a, a relationship Problem. Maybe it's a work problem. And, and you can't change your, your, your problem. But think about this. What can you do to change your perspective on your problem? Let me show you a couple formulas. This first one is, is, is the wrong way. This is how many people respond to circumstances that they cannot change. They, they complain, and they argue about it, and it just, it's, it's, it's about entitlement. We think, I deserve more from God. I deserve uh, better. And the longer we follow this formula, it just makes us miserable. It's a joy stealer. And the more difficult it is for us to get out of this mindset. That's why Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Here's the formula that Paul followed Paul puts Jesus at the center of his life, and he pours himself out for others out of gratitude for God, and he experiences joy, and he shines like a star. In the, in the sky, in the dark sky, and from prison. I mean, he writes a letter to the Philippians. He writes a letter to us about how to find and how to develop joy in the darkest circumstances. I've watched uh, my wife, Marnie, uh, deal with some difficult circumstances in, in her life that she could not change. A couple years ago, uh, she went in for a routine exam, and that led to a biopsy, and then that led to a, 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 diagnosis, a diagnosis of breast cancer. Fortunately, they, they caught it early, and she's doing, she's doing great. But to, to protect her, they went ahead and did surgery and uh, chemo and uh, radiation. And uh, it, was, it was difficult for her. And I hated to see Marnie go through all that. But it inspired me to watch how she responded to difficult circumstances that she could not change. Honestly, I follow the other formula, I'm not proud of it, but uh, I injured a little muscle in my leg this summer, and I complained and complained and complained about it. But she went through cancer and never complained. And I think it's because she follows this formula for, for joy. She has taken what she's learned from her experience and made it into kind of a ministry where she encourages and and supports other ladies going through what she experienced. She frequently is is texting and talking to ladies and having coffee uh, with ladies, going through what she went through. And it not only helps other people, it brings her joy uh, to serve others and pour herself out. But for Marnie, and many people who go through cancer or other illnesses or diseases, you come face-to-face with your sense of entitlement that all of us have to some degree. Marnie says, this is the hardest part for me. I expected a healthy life, a cancer-free life, but I had to accept that God never made that promise. And Marnie realized, I need to surrender more to God and let go of entitlement and focus on the good and the blessings and the many wonderful promises That God has made. She couldn't change her circumstances, but she changed her perspective. She didn't have a choice in her cancer, but she still has a choice in her attitude. Now, I don't know what you feel chained to today, and and I know some of you are going through some very difficult circumstances, but the real joy stealer is not out there. It's in here, and that's why Paul says do everything without complaining or arguing. And so if you can change uh, your your circumstances, do that. If there's a negative situation, and you can change it, change it. But if you can't change your circumstances, change your perspective. Even if you don't have a choice in your situation, you still have a choice in your attitude. And if you put Jesus in the center, pour yourself out and serve others out of gratitude to God, you're going to shine like a star in the sky. And other people are going to see your joy and they're going to want what you have. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God of joy, that you make it possible for, for all of us, every one of us, to have peace and joy and a sense of well being, even in the most difficult situations. And God, thank you for this teaching from Paul that is uh, challenging. Uh, But very practical, as practical as stopping our complaining. And the moment we do that, we can find and develop joy. God, I pray that you would uh, give us courage to change the circumstances we can change. And when we can't change our circumstances, give us uh, grace and wisdom and strength to change our perspective and to see the good and to thank you for it. God, we want to follow Paul's example and and live with gratitude and pour into others and find true joy. God, we love you and we thank you for your love for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.